Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Self-Storage Now. What is self-storage now? Well, we're we're starting these new little episodes, and we're going to try to do them uh, one a week, and we call them self-storage now because it is to cover what is going on in self-storage now, as in what are we building, what are we buying, and what is happening in the industry right now. This is a time for you to see actions and practice, um, keep up to date, hear what's going on. And really case studies. I mean, this is a great chance for us to say, listen, we bought this facility, we're building it out, or you know, whatever the project is that we're working on right now, and we can tell you why we're doing that right now. Uh, lots of times we'll get in and I'll, we'll be talking about projects that may have happened five, six years ago, or we'll bring people on the podcast that are talking about projects that they did 10 years ago, and you may not feel that they're relatable. So that's why we started up Self Storage Now. And today I have my trusted co host Connor Skeen with me. How you doing, man? Doing good, man. Doing good. What's up? You know, I am uh, super excited to go over this because uh, it's interesting. This is, you know, the stuff we talk about day in and day out, these projects and the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I feel like lots of times after it's done, after the project's over with, you look back on it, lots of people can get, you know, rose- rose-colored glasses on where everything you see is beautiful, right? And you kind of forget maybe some of the challenges or the things to watch out for that we could pass on to listeners. And this will give us an ap- opportunity to talk about, you know, the what were the opportunities that we saw, why we took that action, and then, uh, two, what are the challenges that we're dealing with? So. For sure, for sure. All important stuff to touch on because, like we were talking earlier today, you just there's some of that stuff that you just don't work into your numbers initially when you're looking at a facility or a property that is completely unexpected. Um, and Hayden, we have yep. a perfect perfect example of that if you want to kind of run through with yeah. them as far as uh, the, that exact issue at Hayden. And it, and it is a good point because lots of times when you talk about these you know, these case studies or these deals afterwards, or you'll hear somebody on a podcast, oh, yeah, I bought it for X, and we turn it into the huge home run and value adding. But was that how it was originally set up for? I, I'm always mm-hmm. more curious. When you went into that deal, what did your numbers look like? No kidding. And then when you came out of the deal, you're talking about it because it was a home run. But when you were in the middle of it, was it off? Were you over budget? Was it, were you under budget? Like, how was that set up? And, and, and this is what we're talking about. What Tonner, uh, Connor's talking about right now um, is uh, one of our facilities. This facility was probably the best example of a value add that you could ever get. You're buying it, but 80% of everything, we're redoing. I mean, we, the front office building, we literally ripped out of the ground and tore it out. Like, just gone. We ri- got rid of it. Uh, a couple other buildings we got rid of. We're adding in buildings. We're changing pavement, all the siding. Uh, some parts that didn't even have payments. So we're redoing so much. And 
this has been years in the working, which isn't our style. Like we bought this thing a long time ago, like three years ago, but it's taken so long to get the permitting done, mm-hmm. um, to get the uh, working with the city and then the contractors. Um, we, you know, we've, we've had problems with the builders and the contractors, things like that. And even architects, you have to jump through. Um, to get everything lined up to get this to get this done, and as much as we try, uh, storage is important because it's a timing issue. So you have you know three or four months where you're going to do the vast majority of all your rentals will take place, and so if you do it, if you open up in the fall, for example, well your performance is going to be very bad until the spring, and so you always try to time it, and then we get in these deals and realize it doesn't matter what we time because. I guess, you know, like God, nobody cares what we want. And (laughs) so it doesn't really matter. But um, Hayden was a facility that we we had a grand plan, of course, and we'd buy it. And in a year, it would be the expanded part would be done open and we could get higher rents. Um, But I'll kind of talk about why we did the deal. So let's start it off. And the Hayden project was in a good location where we had other assets. It was extremely. Extremely, we really focus on three things when we're looking for a value add. We focus on management, we focus on the physical assets, and then we focus on the money side. So the uh, the overall capital structure of the deal, the how we're funding it, and also to the revenues um, internally and whether they're being uh, maximized or not. So with that, all three were horrible. Management was terrible. The looks, it was a dump. Um, just horrible. And so we thought, man, we, you know, this is a great value add play. But when I say a great value add play, um, like there's a time and a place for everything. And, and it, I don't even know if you know this. We were originally going to buy Hayden like six years ago. Oh, no kidding. We said no. <laughs> Why'd you say no in the beginning? It was scary. Because oh, gotcha. it was such a big project. Yeah. No, it's At huge. the time when we were doing it, you know, we'd had, I don't know, we had f- three or four facilities. And, and I, I don't know that we were confident in our skills to take on Probably a good call that, for that sure. task. So we're like, no, we're not touching it. Then we bought it three years later and we paid more. Um, in fact, it was quite a bit more. I think we paid like 300000 more. But um, anyways, it, you know. You're right. It was a good thing because the challenges that we've seen with it, we we weren't ready to take on. We we didn't have the skills or the vision, I think, to tie it in. It would have been frustrating. It just wasn't the right timing. But Which I think in and of itself is like a, an important topic for people to understand to not jump into something that you're yeah. not even remotely ready for. Yeah. Even, even though you have people out there telling you that, oh, you should do that. No, so much. I mean, we've grown into so many of our deals and our assets that – People see it now. They see what we're doing now, right? And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to do that. I'm like, well, okay, well, when we started up, we were not even we, – we weren't close. We weren't doing this. We, we had to build up to it because the value that we create in the facility is only good as the value that we can bring to the table. And our value wasn't up to par to tackle that yet. Um, we did. We got better, improved. As our value went up, the value that we could um, um, show within that facility rose and made it worth it. Um, so that was the kind of a little backstory, and where we're at right now with this facility is the thing's torn to bits. They're building it all, right? They're, it's kind of all torn up, and um, they're building the front building. 
Um, you know, why don't you give an update on it? Yeah. You're still with it this morning. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like AJ's talking about here, we, we're adding, we're expanding onto the existing storage unit buildings. So, we're adding two more buildings onto the property. Uh, we are uh, bringing in climate control units into that building, which was, from what I understand it, like you said, I wasn't here right in the beginning when you guys purchased the facility, but um, doing the climate control up there was a huge move for you guys, getting that in there. Uh, from what I understand, so that's exciting, bringing that to the table, and then uh, again, like AJ's talking about, we got rid of the quote-unquote office that was there before, um, and uh, are building out a brand new office. Um, we focus mostly on operating like a uh, like a franchise, essentially. So. We're getting our office all built out uh, to look out like our other offices at our other facilities and other locations. So um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And there's so many unforeseen things, kind of like what you were talking about, AJ, before, uh, right in the beginning of the podcast episode here was just some of those unforeseen things that happen. And you kind of wonder, like, what goes on behind the scenes for a lot of these people that go yeah. out and say, oh, well, yeah, I got this deal or this happened or that happened. And as most of us know, if we've experienced life at all, is, is plans generally don't pan out like you plan them out to plan out. Yeah. <laughs> like, or play out. Um, so there's a lot of things that have kind of changed with Hayden. Well, and two, uh, you know, on that, I'm not, I don't want to no, yeah, pass on that man. real quick. Because um, you – so Warren Buffett talks about this a lot. He calls it a margin of safety. I'm a huge believer in a margin of safety. And essentially what this margin of safety is, it's like a financial buffer where if things go wrong, you're okay. And I believe in that because things, like you said, always go wrong. And two, I am very aware of my own stupidity, which seems to have no <laughs> limits at times. And so no matter how smart I am, right, it, it, it's like we, we get caught up. And when people do these razor-thin deals that are like it has to go perfect to pull off, Dude. I'm like – Wow, it's, you know. Don't do it. Don't do it. It just doesn't make sense because that's not how it works. And if it does, it's because you were lucky, not because you were good. And it, it, it's great to be lucky sometimes, but not when you're gambling your financial future. You want to make sure that you're putting yourself in a place to get good upside. And if things go wrong, it's still good. So, like, when I look at a deal, the deal has to be a great deal. It has to be a great deal when I buy it. Now, I expect it to be an incredible deal. But unless it's a great deal, I don't want to own it because one of these days we're going to have a recession. Mm -hmm. One of these days a competitor is going to build next door. And if that means that it's the downfall of that location, um, I have to be able to weather a storm. And when people aren't – if people don't have the ability to weather storms, it's not only very short-lived, um, but, you know, there's – disastrous consequences and self-storage is a great example of that as lots of people know in real estate so when when we look at this stuff we we do we we price this in so we price it in to know listen this thing needs to make money even if it stays a junker mm -hmm. which is absolutely smart and just to give people an idea uh there's you hear a lot about different percentages of you know an expected return on investment, just to give people an idea, what what do, you, do what do we quote unquote call it a good deal? What yeah. are, what are our criteria? Yeah, uh, a a good deal. We need to have a good deal within. A, so we do value add strategy, but um, I need to be very clear on this because this is very important. So I'm going to walk you through here. Um, 
We live by it, and it's played out every single time so far. Um, the good deal includes our margin of safety. I want a cash-on-cash cl- internal rate of return, um, and I'll tell you why I use both of those, And except because somebody might say those are two totally separate things. But hold on. Give me a second. Of 20%. And why I use internal rate of turn and cash on cash, um, I use them interchangeably here because the way that I look at uh, your IRR, your internal rate of return on your investment is very different than most people. So lots of people get a prospectus where they see an internal rate of return of 16% in five years, but that internal rate of return is predicated on selling that asset at a five cap at 95% occupied in five years, which they have no idea. They can't control. They're just making crap up. Like, eh, I dislike that so much. So when I say internal rate of return, there's no sell ever. I don't put a sell date in it. So when we do our five, 10 years projections and we back it up, our internal rate of returns, there's no end date where we take back our money and we capitalize on it. So it acts more like a cash on cash return. And that's why I use those two things. So when we look at it um, within two years, I expect to have that asset um, completely stabilized at whatever I believe those levels are stabilized depending on that asset. And it should be generating a 20% uh, cash on cash. Now, I, I don't think we've ever even bought anything that would deliver under like a 12% cash on cash, just it being stabilized, just it sitting there, Um, which for us, that is definitely underperforming. Um, Most of the things that we've bought, we can capitalize out of, we've got all our money out of, or, you know, something else within, you know, two, three years at the most. So that essentially is 100% return three years, which we like because then our returns are infinite from there on out. Our money's gone. It's what we're doing. You know, we're doing that with uh, uh, Reno right now, um, which we can talk about that another day because it's a really big one. But that was a two-year deal. We are refining, taking 100% of the money plus probably profits because the deal is so big um, out and it will cash flow and generate great returns um, forever. So that's incredible, man, because a lot of people, I mean, especially me included, um, before I had met you and, and got involved with everything that you've got going on and um, just that typical rate of return you hear from most people is like, the, you know, the seven, eight percent, you know, yeah. uh, margin. But when you say like a 20 percent return, I mean, a lot of people are like, there's no way, like there's no possible yeah. way you can do that. But you guys routinely do that well and i over think, and over again and when people say that i i say you're right buying something at that but that's because you're buying a retail thing you're, you're taking something off the shelf that something's packaged everybody's taking profits and fees and everything else out of it right and you're right you can't just go find it like mm-hmm. like i say we create the 20 percent return we create it um and two i i forgot to mention this at the first this is really important when I say create it, a lot of people say markets will turn up and our returns will turn up. Um, no, that's not creation. That's hoping and praying. And there is no distinction between that, I feel, in the investing war world. And I've got to make a distinction between this. Let us let me tell it to you right now. So what we do is we take, let's, let's say this Hayden project, right? Mm. We buy it. It's going to give you a 12% return, and it's a piece of junk. i got to put a million dollars into this thing. i got to turn it around. What I do is I take the overall layout, the 
square footage, everything we do. We take our operational model that we get, and for this case, it's a mile down the road, and I overlay it with that asset. That overlay of existing, so this is actually what's happening today, a mile down the road, right, will perform 20% cash on cash return. I'm not guessing. It's not like I'm, you know, making stuff up or I'm hoping that the market will rise and my returns, cash flows will go up with it. I'm taking something known and I'm overlaying it on top of something existing. And that's how I get my number. Um, I'm conservative. And I, 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 I don't believe investing is gambling. And I don't believe, and I hope, we all hope and pray that the markets lift our assets up and make money. But I operate self-storage like a business not like an asset. So that means I need to create value and I need to do something to drive, uh, to uh, really get those revenue drivers going and create a better return and increase cash flows. So I that's mean, what I mean by that. That's like a perfect example of the whole, you know, hope for the best but plan for the worst scenario. Yes. I mean, yeah, by all means, hope that the markets continue to grow, which mm -hmm. obviously, I mean, history has shown that they will. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, you're going to have those downturns that you have to be prepared for. Yep. And, you know, going back to you know, loss, I mean, a lot of people out there that are investing that, uh, I mean, you're not only leveraging your financial future, you're leveraging sometimes your families, you're yeah. leveraging your reputation yep. with investors and everybody else that might have mm -hmm. came together with you to uh, to purchase that asset and everything else. Well, you're leveraging your future opportunities. Yeah, yeah for sure. And that's huge to me because, like, for me, the only way you're successful is you're compounding your overall success. So if I'm doing a deal, this deal needs to help me move forward and get to an ultimate goal. This success over success is a compounding effect. Well, if you put all your success into one basket, you're like, oh, I'm just going to get a quick hit or one win, and that fails, you've destroyed that compounding. You go bankrupt. It's years till you can get loans. And someone that just did conservative things that had a good plan in place but did something much, much smaller or waited longer to do the deals and did it continually time and time and time again, they would they would so far outperform you because of the effect of, of compounding your interest. It, it, right. It's not even comparable. Now, with that said, though, because I know those losses hit you so hard, that's why I need an, a margin of safety. Now, right. too, we're talking 20% cash on cash returns with no recession. That's why I have to have that because mm -hmm. I don't – what's what's it going to be like in a recession? Now, I've had – we had self-storage assets within a recession. I know what they did and their performance. And, two, I bought a ton of assets in the recession because they went bankrupt. They couldn't perform, right? Self-storage was – devastated. Although there's a lot of people that are very confused because occupancy stayed high. And I, I always think it's funny if you're judging a successful asset by occupancy, um, they did way, way better than most other asset classes. But if you're judging a successful business by how it's uh, how much money it makes, that's that's a different story. And so we picked up a lot of assets that were really highly occupied, but the revenues had dropped 35 percent. Um, so I know that I need this margin of safety because when that happens, I need to still generate returns and keep my compounding effect going. Exactly. Well, that in addition to, you know, kind of what we're talking about here with the Hayden project and some of those unforeseen costs that come into play, mm -hmm. when, even when you go through and you do your due diligence, you go through, you're looking at all the numbers, you're doing everything you're supposed to do by the book, textbook, everything. And then out of the blue, you have some random thing that happens that you have to, that costs 
Yeah. I mean, you're working with cities. Tons. You're working. And, yeah. and this is something you have to understand. Success doesn't happen on an island, right? I need, you know, the success in my my life has been generated by so many things. Um, you're talking family. You know, you're talking country and God. You know what I mean? Literally. I mean, the success of the United States growing of the states has been successful to me and i need successful banks and partners i need successful advisors i need all these people to come together to make me successful right you need those people too you got to cultivate this and when but when you're dealing in more of a complex situation like that you never know when the city's going to throw something at you the bank is going to throw something at you the contractors and architects are going to throw something at you all of those things happened on this project mm-hmm. i kid you not our financing we got didn't come through the first time and the, one of the times it came back and it was like a million dollar lowers because there was problems there we had to go find another financing partner um on on the hayden deal the city came back after they accepted and proposed we had to take out a whole entire building to have the water retention put in which you know who knows how many thousands of months that was well we do i, I just don't know off the top of my head <laughs> uh but so you, know. uh, you had to take out a building yes that you were gonna so rent Okay, gotcha. So we had to remove an existing building there, um, or that was no, one that, that they was, was going part of to the build. Yeah, plan we gotcha. were to build, and then the city came back and they're yeah. like, "No, we want that gone." And that's that's more than like a cost of you know putting in a berm and trees. You're like, no, right. you're taking out revenue. Right. This is how we make money, um, and uh, all sorts of stuff. The city came back and like, you can't put your building up here anymore because. One of the things you have to remember in real estate is that when you want to change the property and you're working with the cities to get things done, this is an opportunity for the cities to get their wish uh, wish list, right? And we're in this beautiful little city, right? It's a tourist town, um, really, really nice area. And there's this piece of junk facility, absolute trash. We're taking it. It's right by Main Street. We're going to fix it up, make it beautiful. And even then, we had a lot of pushback. Um, and so when they came back, they're like, okay, here's everything we want you to do. We want you to do a hundred thousand on landscaping. We want to change your buildings. We want on and on and on and on because they know this is their one shot, right? So all our expenses that we had attributed to that were of course lower. The city wanted much, much more. We had to change the way the building looked, where it was placed. Um, and then once we got in the mix of it, we had problems with our architects and our builders. It, it, It was just Hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, we had to jump. That we usually know that some of these stuff are going to happen. Honestly, with Hayden, though, it, it was like everything. Mm-hmm. Everything happened. Yeah. Um, but it was making money the whole time we were going through this. So That margin of safety, dude. Yep. Margin of safety. So, yeah, I mean, those, those are prime examples of, of exactly what can and often does happen. I mean, like you say, there's, there's very rarely any time that you're going to go through something and it's just cut and dry. Like, yeah. there's a lot of these gurus out here that want to tell people that, oh, yeah, you just go out here, it's just, you, this is the formula, you do X, Y, and Z, and bada bing, bada boom, you have a property, or you're an investor, or you have cash flow coming in, or whatever it is, and that's just so not the case. No. You, so not the case at all. You know, I, so one of the things that, I, I own a, a brokerage consultation company where we we consult on group benefits, like medical benefits for companies, things like that. So I, I, I own one of those, and I did it before. I was in talking one, which I, I loved because I, um, you know, in a previous life before I got into real estate, I, I got to see so many business models and business plans. And one of the companies I walked into, they have a big sign right when you walk in the front door. And I, I got to remember the quote. But it was something to the effect, you know, the, the company that 
survives and thrives is not the company with the best product. It's not the company at the best location. It's not any of those things. It's the company that can adapt. Um, and that is absolutely a true because the equation's always changing. There are fundamentals, right? True principles that never go out of style, but execution always changes. And I think you are successful in any business or real estate, and particularly with self-storage, when you're flexible to see opportunities, take advantage of those opportunities, and help them work in your in your favor. And Hayden was a perfect example. If we weren't flexible, if we didn't have the know-how, we're introducing new technology into this building that you know, mm -hmm. as we were one of the first people to even introduce that. Right, so it gives us a competitive advantage. There's all these things that go into it to make the deal that somebody else couldn't make work. And the more you learn, the more you try and fail, the more you become flexible. You see the things others don't see, and, and, and that's how you're successful. And that's why others can perform way better, right? They, and they can get returns that other people can't. They can get deals that other people can't, right? You know, people tell me, oh, you know, you cannot, you, right now you can't buy a storage facility that will generate a 10 plus percent return. It doesn't exist. Well, you know, I just signed the contracts on one this week. Um, and uh, that's going to be a, a fantastic one. Same turnaround thing, you know. It, it was funny because we were looking at it and we're like, oh, geez, this is going to make somewhere probably between an 18 to 22. We're really cutting this one close. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, that's how we looked at it. And right. That's how we felt. So yeah. y you're right. Y it's not cut and dry. It's not that it's in any way impossible. In fact, that's the best thing about it. Because it's not cut and dry, that means there's opportunity for you. And that means that you can learn it. That means that times change. And you can change, and you can grow with it. But. Uh, that's totally true, man. And then there's that other aspect to it where, where it's genuinely fun to figure out how to make something happen. Like you see the opportunity there, and you have all these pieces of the puzzle that you figure out how they fit together, what you can do here, what you can do there, and figure out the problem and hey. build your solution. You know yeah, what I mean? the bankrupt super Kmart is like a classic case. It's one yeah. of my favorite ones. I talk about it on lots of podcasts just because it's so fun for me to talk about. It mm -hmm. gets me excited. It was like, dude, this was just this bankrupt, empty, massive box of the parking lot lying there, you know, and between me and Reed, and uh, Reed brought us the deal, and he's the one that uh, found the bankrupt super Kmart, and then Lance, who brought in the new technology, we all got together, right, and we created this now business that's worth over $20 million, and now there's apartment complexes on one side of it, and it created something that was just something desolate uh, and dead. It, it, and you're right. It's cool. It's it's fun. It's about the process, man. So, yeah, a lot of cool things going on here for sure. We got yeah. Hayden going on. Um, that should be wrapped up by the end of the year. Uh, and as AJ mentioned, we're uh, integrating technology there. Um, that's going to be really exciting. Uh, so we're looking forward to all that stuff, yeah. but yeah, there's which we'll have to do on another podcast. You know, yeah, we, next okay, sure. that's what we'll do on our next one. You got to write this down so I remember. We're gonna talk about this technology that we're using. If you're in the self storage world, you've heard about it. We were the second people in the nation to uh, roll it out. We talked about it on a podcast with Travis Morrow. He is the CEO of Store Local, which is gonna be a fabulous one. Everybody's got to listen to. I mean, we went on for like. I don't know. It was like an hour and 20 minutes. It was such a good podcast. Nice. Um, and we, we talk about and brought in um, this no key, this, this remote access, this automation aspect that's going on in the storage facility world. We talk about that. The next, uh, the next um, self-storage now, that's what we got to do. We got to talk about self-storage automation, what we're currently doing in it. 
That'd be awesome, man. That sounds good. Awesome. Well, hey, everybody, that's it. I know this is supposed to be short. We probably went way long, but we're really excited. Been tackling this stuff um, all day. Um, and Connor was working on it this morning, and we said, hey, we, we, we got to talk about our experience in this. And this is a great facility. We're going to talk about it more because you just can't cover everything. And I know so many people have questions probably on what we've already brought in. And what we would like you to do is, first of all, guys, we are storage facility owners, managers, and investors. This, this is what we do. Um, I'm, I know you're all shocked when you hear this, but I'm not a professional podcaster. It's not my job. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to share this information with you. And me and Connor want to make something really, really good here for you guys. If you could please give us a five-star review. I can't tell you how much it helps us. This is coming out of our own time. Both me and Connor's, we take away time from the family. Five-star review, comment, and then two, message us with your com- with your questions. I mean, your questions, we will we, we compile. We did this on our other podcast on Cash Flow to Freedom. We compile the, the comments and questions, and we tailor the podcasts and our YouTube videos. So you can jump onto YouTube at um, Self Storage Income and look at those YouTube videos, which we are answering people's questions. They'll come on, they'll comment, or they'll send us emails, which selfstorageincome.com, you can go and email us directly. Um, and we will make videos and podcasts and everything to try to tackle what you guys are facing and uh, bring value. But I hope you guys like the self-storage now. Let us know what you think. Thanks. Thanks.